Hey, Bettys. Welcome to the Better Podcast. It's your host, Dr. Stephanie. It is geeky magic time where I step away from the interviews and just talk to you. It's just going to be me and you today. And these episodes, I'm going to bring you personal insights, frequently asked questions, topic du jour in a more condensed, quick, and actionable way. I go hard on the geek, wrap it up with sprinkles and magic for you to do and be better. Hey, hey, Bettys. This week's Geeky Magic, we are going to focus on a recent important piece of literature that was published around menopause and the changes that happen in the brain of both women who are going through menopause, but also looking at some of the brain changes in perimenopause. And of course, once that menopause transition has been completed, what it looks like post-menopausal. I get a lot of questions about how to ease perimenopause and menopause symptoms. And here's a really simple answer for you. Take a good mineral supplement. Your body loses a ton of minerals as you transition through perimenopause and menopause. And mineral deficiencies make a lot of the common symptoms worse. For example, if you're struggling with poor sleep, fatigue, joint pain, hot flashes, or any other side effects that are wearing you down, you might think about giving Beam Minerals a try. Their full-spectrum mineral supplement contains every single mineral that you lose during perimenopause and menopause, and there is a meaningful dose here with close to 100% bioavailability. All you have to do is take a shot of liquid every morning to replenish your mineral stores and ease the symptoms that you might be experiencing. Beam minerals just taste like water and you'll feel the difference within a few days. Head over to beamminerals.com and use the code BETTER for 20% off. So the lead author on this paper, her name is Dr. Lisa Mosconi. She, you may recognize her name. She has a, a book called The XX Brain, which is excellent. Um, but this paper, and I'll put a link to the paper in the show notes. Uh, the title of the paper is Menopause Impacts Human Brain Structure, Connectivity, Energy Metabolism, and Amyloid Beta Deposition. So great title, right? And so this is really interesting because, you know, practitioners like myself and, you know, my colleagues, we have been, you've been hearing more and more about practitioners who are finally talking about menstrual cycles and how we are, you know, I will often say we are not little men. We are physiologically unique uh, from men. And talking about some of the changes that you might experience in perimenopause and menopause. And I actually wrote a book that talked a lot about this. So in my book, The Betty Body, I outline a lot of nutritional considerations uh, for improving metabolic integrity and function, exercise considerations, you know, including uh, resistance training and stress management, physical rehab, not only as a way to feel great about yourself, which is why I think a lot of people feel so called to pick up this book, but really it's about how we can honor our unique physiology. And in this case, our unique neurology and playing the long game. So this is something that's so important to me. I talk about, even in the context of weight loss, you know, you have 
people who I often have people who will come to me or want to work with me or want to engage with one of my programs because they want to lose weight, which is awesome and great. And I love and support, uh, for those of you that want to do that, but I'm really interested in playing the long game. So whether it's weight loss, whether it's hormone balance, whether it's brain function, I'm interested not only in the proxies that are going to improve some of the transient, more acute improvements, but how can we make these long-term changes? And, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again, this is important to me, not only from a, you know, I want to look good right now. I want to wear the bikini, but I I'm training right now. I am already training to be the favorite grandmother, you know? So if this is, you know, something that I have the blessing one day to be, which is to be a grandmother, um, I want to be able to be the grandma who can babysit, you know, my grandbabies and to play with them at the park and to like keep up with them. And in order for that to happen right now, I need to be thinking about, even though I'm in my early forties, I want to be thinking about strength and lean muscle mass and proprioception and my joint health and my brain health and my bone health, et cetera, et cetera. So I wanted to review this paper because in my opinion, this is a landmark paper and it is one that examines the changes in the female brain through the menopausal transition. And I want to discuss the paper itself, what some of the findings were, and then some clinical considerations for you that you might consider implementing in your own life. Of course, I will, you know, I always have disclaimers in my podcast, but I will say that you always need to discuss any of these changes with your primary healthcare provider, right? So um, I am a doctor, but I am not your doctor, um, but I can speak to my own clinical experience. And today we're going to discuss um, a really important piece of literature as it relates to female health and what happens during reproductive senescence. So... And that's actually really important too. One of the important pieces of this paper is that it really demonstrates that menopause is not just reproductive senescence. It's not just that you don't menstruate anymore, but in many ways, menopause is a neurological event. And what we see is that there is restructuring and adaptive rewiring of the brain and the connectivity and the metabolic profile of a woman uh, or women who are postmenopausal and in this, you know, the adaptations that happen to a decreased estrogen environment. So, okay. So what did the study look at? Let's get into the study. So this was a uh, neuroimaging study. So multi, like there was lots of different ways they were looking at the brain and they were looking at the changes of the female brain before menopause, during menopause and after menopause. Okay. So they were looking at um, specifically in, ter- in terms of structural changes, they were looking at the brain's gray matter, um, which is where the, the base, like where cells are born, like the, where the, the neuronal cells are the white matter, which is the axon. So you have like the, the nucleus of the cell, um, of the nerves, they live in the gray matter and then the extension or the axons, if you will. And the dendritic connections happen in the white matter. It also looked at amyloid 
um, deposition, like the beta amyloid plaques, uh, and energy metabolism. So the total sample size, you know, they started off with like, I think it was 180, but they, you know, rejected, you know, people for whatever reason, they ended up with a total sample size of 161 women. 30 of them were premenopausal, 57 were perimenopausal and 74 were postmenopausal. Okay. And they also looked at so they were comparing the brains of these women at different arcs of their life. And then they also wanted to look at and compare it to a, an aged matched male group. So they looked at age matched males that would um, coincide with um, the premenopausal group, the perimenopausal group, and the postmenopausal group as well. Okay, so what did they find? In terms of structural changes, I'll say this with, I'm just going to kind of talk about the changes and then I'm going to talk about some strategies after we discuss, you know, what they found and what this really means. And then some of the things that you can do prophylactically as a preventative measure um, for some of these things. And some of these things can, I'll just preframe this by saying some of it can sound scary. Um, and I, my intention is not to scare you, but it's to inform you because I'd much rather you learn about some of these changes and some of the potential, like the potential effects now so that you can begin to arm yourself with the tool so that it's going to be an easy transition for you. All right. And Betty's, I know that we can talk science. So that's why we are reviewing this paper together. So in terms of structural changes, and we say structural changes, we're talking about the gray matter, the white matter, you know, the volume, like the total brain size. Um, what we noticed was that, or we, <laughs> me and Lisa, no, I, the, what the study noticed was that postmenopause, the postmenopausal group, they had less gray matter volume compared with the perimenopausal women and the premenopausal women. So the area, if you recall, call, I just mentioned the gray matter is where the nerves are essentially born. It's the cell. It's where they start. And this was observed in several different areas of the brain. So for those of you that uh, want the details, um, we th these uh, structural changes were noticed in the inferior temporal gyrus, the precuneus, and the fusiform gyri of the right hemisphere. And when they analyzed the, these results, what they noticed was that there was a lower gray matter volume in the post group compared to the pre group. But some of the uh, gray matter volume was actually lower in the perimenopausal group compared to the postmenopausal group. So that's really interesting that during perimenopause, um, they were seeing a lowered uh, gray matter volume in certain areas of the brain, uh, specifically the fusiform and the, precun uh, the precuneus um, clusters, um, compared to the post group. So that's super interesting. And we'll come back to that. Um, same thing with white matter volume, uh, the menopausal transition, um, they observed that there was lower white matter volume in the postmenopausal women versus pre and perimenopausal women. However, and I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit here. Um, they did notice that they're uh, sort of the, an index for the connectivity, um, of the, of the cortical areas were actually better postmenopausal than they were pre. So we'll come, we'll come back to all of that. So 
couple other things uh, I wanted to, uh, to highlight here. In terms of metabolism, um, there were changes that were observed in the temporal gyri um, uh, of, of these menopausal women. So basically, um, in the postmenopausal group, there was lower glucose metabolism in some of these brain areas compared to their pre and perimenopausal counterparts. And we also see, saw this with cerebral blood flow. So, you know, the menopausal transition, again, we saw changes, um, in, the cerebral blood flow such that uh, postmenopausal women had higher cerebral blood flow, better cerebral blood flow compared to their perimenopausal counterparts. A couple of other things uh, I wanted to highlight from here was the comparison to the age-matched males. So if you recall, there were looking at the fem- the changes in the female brain, whether it's premenopause, perimenopause, postmenopause, but then there was also a overall comparison to age matched males. And they did this to be able to suss out or to be able to tease out whether or not menopause had effects, uh, whether these effects that they were seeing on, you know, the structural changes, the metabolic changes were specific to the endocrinology, like the, the hormone changes that are associated with menopause versus chronological aging. So just getting older. Now this has a few, maybe some uh, flaws in here because we already know that there are some sexual dimorphisms or differences in the male and female brain, but this is the the best. um, This is, you know, I can't think of an alternate option if you're trying to control for whether or not this is an endocrine uh, change or it's a chronological change. So with that said, um, when they looked at gray matter volume, that's where your um, uh, where your cells are born. What they noticed was that for women, the menopausal stage uh, indicated lower gray matter volume uh, of the postmenopausal group compared to the men that were of similar age. Uh, and there was um, a couple of different areas of the brain that they were looking at, and they found that gray matter volume in general was lower in both the post group compared to the male post group or age match control in the perimenopause group compared to the age match control um, with the men. With white matter volume, which is where the axons go and there's all the connections um, that happen, same um, kind of thing. So we saw lower white matter volume in women um, compared in the postmenopausal group compared with the age match controls for men. Um, and also same thing with the perimenopausal group. So the perimenopausal women exhibit, like they had a similar pattern of decreased white matter, uh, white matter volume compared to the age match controls for men. What does this mean? Well, there's several implications and I would highly recommend that you pick up this paper. I believe it was published in Nature, which is you know, like a blue ribbon journal, possibly the premier journal along with Cell and, you know, maybe some others. Uh, so it's published and it has open access right now. So you can literally look it up on the internet, but we'll, can, we'll have a click link for you in the, in the show notes of this podcast. So it'll just take you directly there. So I would highly suggest that you pick this up and take a look at it yourself. But let's think of some of the, the, you know, the results and what that means, right? So, Compared to age-matched males, right, 
postmenopausal, perimenopausal women exhibited lower gray matter volume in several of the regions that they were looking at. So they were looking at cortical regions, subcortical regions, um, places like the hippocampus, the amygdala, et cetera. However, and this is, you know, coming back to the results that we were talking about earlier, gray matter volume had this stabilization and recovery um, in certain areas of the brain post-menopausal. So after that menopausal transition happened, there was a almost a rebound um, effect. And this is interesting because we actually see this in women elsewhere in their lives outside of menopause, right? Uh, for those of you that have had the blessing of being pregnant, um, this is another female specific, you know, neuroendocrine event, right? Being pregnant. And we also know that the brain volume, the gray matter volume of women while they're pregnant actually also decreases, um, hence mommy brain, right? Like oftentimes women who are pregnant are like, I just can't freaking think of anything. Like they have this uh, narrow ability for them to focus. Uh, memory is often um, affected and they often feel like they're walking around in a haze. However, that seems to recover after the baby is born. So not, not right when the baby's born, there's a lot of changes that happen there. But usually by the time, if you've breastfed, by the time you wean the baby, um, that neurogenesis has rebounded. So you, ha you restore that gray matter volume um, in, in pregnancy as well and postpartum. Sodium is an essential nutrient involved in the maintenance of normal cellular balance, the regulation of fluid and electrolytes, and your blood pressure. Start your morning right with a refreshing salty tonic of LMNT. It's spring season now, which means I will be enjoying watermelon or grapefruit salt on ice, and it is a fabulous way to balance stress hormones and make sure that I am maximizing my muscle gains. Element T also has a no questions asked refund policy. Try watermelon or any flavor that you want, and if you don't like it, they will refund your money no questions asked, and you don't even need to return the box. Head over to drinklmnt.com forward slash Dr. Estima. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com forward slash D-R-E-S-T-I-M-A. And you will get a free LMNT sample pack with any purchase. So even though we know that there's generally some neurogenesis, um, the ability to create new neurons, right? That neurogenesis, it decreases with aging. It seems to be that there's a similar mechanism in the female brain that um, helps her rebound from some of these changes in hormones. And very, um, you know, similarly, pregnancy and menopause, there are some really interesting parallels, right? So of course, uh, you have a surge of hormones like progesterone, uh, of course, estrogen um, when you're pregnant, and then there is a sharp drop off. And this is very similar in many ways to menopause. So that's really interesting. And of course, same with the white matter volume. So when we look at the post and perimenopausal groups that exhibited this widespread white matter loss, um, we while the total volume is lower in postmenopause compared to perimenopause and also compared to those age-matched males, there is this 
integrity, like this integrity and structural connectivity uh, in the brain that is amplified and actually is better um, post-menopausal compared to peri and pre-menopausal groups. So again, there is this rebound effect that seems to happen post-menopause with this decrease in volume, both the gray matter and in the white matter. Now, metabolism, the metabolic changes um, in in postmenopause and maybe into some like there's a maybe a smaller extent, the perimenopausal group, um, they exhibited what the researchers called hypometabolism in some of the parietotemporal cortices, like just areas of the of the cortex, um, which is consistent with um the risk for females, there's a higher risk for females uh, for developing Alzheimer's disease. So, uh, and if you remember to, with my conversation with Dr. Dale Bredesen, he's been on the podcast twice, one of the categories of Alzheimer's disease, I believe it's type three, if I'm recalling his list correctly, is it has its underlying uh, etiology in metabolic dysfunction. So in women postmenopausal, they exhibited hypometabolism. And of course, we know that that's related to the hypoestrogen environment, that lowered estrogen environment that they are now, you know, there's this prolonged estrogen deficiency now that these postmenopausal women have been exposed to. And what's interesting, again, is this metabolic transition um, triggers when, when we have this prolonged um, decline in estrogen, there is this adaptive response to increase, so for the brain to increase ketone body utilization as an alternative fuel for ATP, right? So this is, this is really, really interesting and of clinical implications, you know, basically what we see is we see this decrease in gray matter and white matter volume. We see this change in metabolic capacity. And when I think about brain volume, whether it's gray volume, white matter volume, you know, my first thought goes to, okay, so what are some of the ways that we can build up brain volume ahead of this menopausal transition, both from a structural, you know, total volume and weight aspect, but also from a respiratory, so a metabolic perspective. And while this may not necessarily change the decrease in gray matter volume, the decrease in white matter volume, we can work our very hardest to try and plump up the brain, right? With that, and I often have said, you know, the one organ you want really big and thick is, is your brain. So we know that with, when it comes to brain volume, activation of brain-derived neurotrophic factor through practices like exercise are important. And of course, BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, is released with all exercises. So that's resistance training, that's um, any type of endurance exercise. But specifically with endurance exercise, and I've talked about this in the past with zone two training, is very, very important for BDNF. So when you are engaging in endurance exercise, uh, you release a protein. It's um, the acronym is FNDC5. Uh, if you really want to know the name of it, it's fibronectin, type three domain containing protein five. Ugh. Um, but this FNDC5 increases brain-derived neurotrophic factor by like 200%, 300%. So it has a robust 
activation of this miracle grow essentially of the brain and BDNF, the role of course of BDNF is, as I mentioned, acts like miracle grow of the brain. It is a potent stimulator of neurogenesis. So increasing your gray matter volume, but also maintaining the nerves that you already have. So both in the gray matter and in the white matter. So it is neuroprotective and it is neurogenic in nature. So exercise for the win, right? You cannot get away from the effects of um, exercise on increasing overall brain volume, specifically gray and white matter. And of course, another way to activate BDNF is through um, things like fasting or a ketogenic diet. So a ketogenic diet, as you you know, you may know, I'm a fan. Uh, I talk about this in the Betty Body. Uh, I also talk about the importance of getting a solid night's sleep and specifically deep rests. Right. So these are some things that are highly you know, they are most available to us, right? So most of us, um, can be looking at fasting. That's just the absence of food. And I've talked a lot about, I talk a lot about fasting in the Betty body, but there are different ways that you can apply fasting, whether that is a time restricted eating protocol, whether that is a longer fast, like a, you know, a 16-8, which is still TRE, or, you know, maybe a 24-hour fast or a longer fast. There, fasting is a really great way to activate BDNF. Ketogenic, a ketogenic diet is as well, because you're restricting an entire macronutrient, uh, which is in a way a bit of a fast. It's like a carbohydrate fast. Um, there are other ways too, right? So meditation, sunlight, breathing techniques, um, even, um, there's some, there's actually some really interesting evidence around psychedelic assisted therapy or psychedelics, um, being shown to increase BDNF as well. But, you know, I will say that psychedelics are still illegal. They are still illegal in most places. And of course we can focus on what we have readily available to us right now. And most of us have to interact with food on a daily basis, um, fasting, sleep, exercise. These are things, these are tools that have been studied extensively to help with BDNF. And from the metabolic changes, it, we, what we see in the menopausal brain is under the influence of a low estrogen environment, we get this poor, um, ATP production. And when you are engaging in something like a ketogenic diet, and, you know, I talk about how I don't believe that women should always be on a ketogenic diet. And I, you know, I outline that in the book, but you can train if, even if you are engaging, engaging in episodic ketosis, you can train your brain to use ketone bodies efficiently as well as simultaneously reducing some of the oxidative, the reactive oxygen species that are produced as a result of using glucose as a substrate. And of course, being able to use ketone bodies, if you're training your body ahead of menopause to be able to use ketone bodies, this is potentially going to be able going to be able to confer a metabolic advantage right because it seems that um in this sudden change of estrogen glucose is now having a hard time getting into the cell and acting as a substrate for you know the glycolytic uh and oxidative phosphorylative 
uh, oxidative phosphorylation, uh, pardon me, pathways. And I have talked about cycling keto one week on one week off in, in that sort of fashion for women long-term. And I think that, um, that's going to help being fat adapted is going to confer, I believe at least, and this is not the conclusion of the researchers of the study. It is my conclusion, but I believe that being fat adapted and being able to use ketone bodies as a substrate for entering the Krebs cycle is going to confer an advantage over women who are not fat adapted. And, you know, if you've ever tried keto, you know, that, you know, if, if you've like the first time you do it, or you're coming back to it after a while, you know, you've probably heard of the keto flu, right. And it's usually where people feel kind of terrible. They have much lower energy. They have kind of brain fog, they have muscle aches. And this is kind of what the researchers were suggesting as part of the, the metabolic profile of these menopause, these women in this menopausal transition. And part of the reason why we know the keto flu happens is obviously when you are carbohydrate restricting, you're going to have a lowered level of glucose in the system, right? So that means that you're going to have lowered levels of pyruvate. So there's a, there's a process called glycolysis where you take, um, glucose and it goes through this whole thing. And then we get pyruvate at the end of it. And pyruvate, depending on the energetic needs of the cell can either be converted to lactate, um, or it can be converted to acetyl-CoA, which is, which then can enter the Krebs cycle, which is the first part of oxidative phosphorylation. So that's one of the reasons why people initially when they're doing keto kind of feel like shit, like they have this keto flu, right? The second reason is that the liver, of course, because you have been carbohydrate restricting has less stored glycogen, right? The liver stores uh, somewhere around 2000 or so, like about a day's worth of um, glycogen. So now that glycogenolysis or the breakdown of glycogen is also going to be lower. So there's just less glucose in the system as a whole. Now, of course, because the body is infinitely wiser than, you know, like, thank God I wasn't the designer of the human body. I'll just say that. But, you know, the body is so smart that it will now bring ketone bodies into the mix as a substrate to, to convert to acetyl-CoA to enter into the Krebs cycle. So ketone bodies are, um, an ex, you know, in addition with amino acids and, and fatty acids, they can be, um, ketone bodies are converted to acetyl-CoA, usually with less oxidative uh, stress and reactive oxygen species compared to glucose as the substrate. So that's a lot of big words. I mean, all this is to say, ladies, that keto in a cyclical manner, which is the way that I outline it uh, in my book, uh, The Betty Body, I think should be viewed as one of the uh, strategies, if not one of the primary strategies to prevent some of these metabolic, this metabolic derangement, um, that happens in the brain in menopause. Okay. So what can we do? A couple of resources for you. One, go back into the Betty library of the podcast and look up the, and we'll, we'll have a link in the show notes, check out my geeky magic on chronic cardio. Okay. So I talk about how and when to engage in endurance training. We talk about it in the context of zone two training, and we talk about the different muscle fibers and their oxidative and their glycolytic capacities, uh, cardio metabolic benefits, et cetera, et cetera. So look up chronic cardio in the Betty library that, and, and start doing 
um, zone two training if you can, um, and replace it with your hit stuff. So I mean, I, I get into this in chronic cardio. I think that high intensity interval training is great. I think as women, generally we overdo it. And I think that there are times of the month. And I talk about this in the Betty body where it's absolutely inappropriate to be engaging in, in such activities. So that's a first resource. Second is if you haven't already pick up a copy of the Betty body book, um, and go to chapter eight and chapter nine, just skip ahead. I don't know, like people, when they pick up books, like they think they have to start at chapter one and you could certainly start there, but you, you know, in this context, just go right to chapter eight and start there. And that is really outlining the, you know, almost my thesis, if you will, and my clinical uh, presentation of why keto for women and keto cycling for women is something that we should be, um, engaging in and training ourselves for. And the third, I'll make this one a bit of an easier one. You're going to pinky promise me that you are going to prioritize your sleep. So that means that maybe you go to bed tonight, just 15 minutes early. Let's just make it super easy. 15 minutes earlier, even if you're awake for, you know, for the whole time and you don't fall asleep 15 minutes early, but you just lie in your bed and you look up at the ceiling, you're giving yourself a chance to get quiet, get in your body, think about the things you're grateful for. You're giving yourself 15 minutes of a darkened environment. Um, and that will help with your slumber, your quality of sleep and your deep sleep. Okay. This is some hardcore science. I get that. Um, it took me a while to, I mean, there's a, I I'm summarizing the paper. I've summarized some of the more pertinent findings. I didn't go into detail with the APOE4, uh, status and how that impacted the, um, the beta amyloid deposition, you know, spoiler, it, you know, the APOE4, uh, carriers had an increased rate of, um, of, uh, beta amyloid deposition. And there's other, there's other details in the study that, I think are important. So I think that everybody should really read this paper. Um, but if you're not going to read this paper, you're like, I'm just going to get my news from you, doc. Um, I want you to go back and listen to chronic cardio, get a pinky promise. You're going to listen to that and find a way for you to be doing some activities that are going to help upregulate your brain derived neurotrophic factor. Pick up a copy of the Betty body book. You can do that on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads, all the places. Um, and then you're going to sleep. You're going to go to bed 15 minutes earlier tonight. And you're going to say, thank you, Dr. Steph, while you're staring at the ceiling, uh, counting sheep. All right. So with that, I will leave you and we will see you next week on Geeky Magic and get ready for Friday's edition of Betty Bites, where we take a snippet from a conversation from the Betty archive, from the Betty uh, library, and we bring it to you as a little, a little gold mine, a little a truth bomb for you for your Friday. So enjoy and we'll, we'll talk to you Friday. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. For those of you who want to continue on this week's Geeky Magic Carpet Ride with me, visit bettershow.co forward slash show notes. You'll find research, links, summary notes, musings that I prepared in preparation for the podcast. And I often throw in some of my best practices, bonuses, and links. All the juicy bits are in there for you.